All right. So joining me today on this episode, we have Nick Nisi. Hello. Neil Roberts. I'm just happy to be here. Paul Shannon. Howdy, y'all. And our very super special guest, Sarah Higley. Hey. Yeah, she's going to have to come up with a better... Hey. (laughs) Everyone else has their own little... Thanks for giving me access to this podcast. (laughs) I don't even know. I have like two jobs. That was a a pun and everyone missed it. I loved it. All right, good. Thanks. Yeah, so (laughs) Sarah is an engineer at SitePen and she focuses on accessibility. So this episode, we thought we'd bring her on to share all of her knowledge about vegan cooking and (laughs) just the current state of affairs and politics in the United States. And I think we have Devin Nunez will be on in a little while. That Nunberg guy, I guess he ran out of CNN spots, so he's going to be on later. So just stick around for that. So Sarah's actually going to talk about accessibility today, and that's what we're going to focus on for this entire episode. This will be the most accessible episode ever because we're going to actually make sure it gets added to Google as well. I think that's accessibility, right? You just make sure it's on both platforms or something. Yeah. Are we doing a text transcript? Um, <laughs> Do you I know just what? make that uh, awkward? It's, like, it's possible. Well, I'll fix that in post. Okay. Um, yeah. PRs are, are accepted for that, Sarah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this magical machine that we're using will actually do it for us. That'd be really have an nice. Intern, someone can just type it all in. The Google Cloud Speech API does that. I've never tried it, but I want to. Do they actually provide a way now, though, to upload? Because I looked into that before, and the way you had to do it that at the time that I looked into it was you had to go into like a Google Doc and then play your audio as the input on your microphone to dictate to it. And then it would put out the text. So it's kind of like real time. But I guess that's what some people were doing. I think YouTube has it too, don't they? Don't they auto-transcribe or something? They have really good actual transcription tools too. Like when you're typing, it pauses the video as you type, which is kind of cool. That's cool. That's really cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. I was just saying that pretty soon, you know, Adobe is probably going to integrate the stuff into Audition where you just get a sample of someone's speech, then type in stuff and it just records it. So we're just going to stop doing the podcast altogether. We'll just type it all up and it'll be much more concise and it'll sound like we're really here. Or did we already do that? See, who knows? You never know. I think Facebook automatically transcribes everything that you say all day, all the time. I mean, I know you can't be doing that for me because there aren't enough audio samples of my voice on the web. Right now. Well, that's not actually true because segue time. Are you ready? Sarah, you just talked at TSConf, which we did a couple weeks back, which actually, if I get around to the proper ordering of releasing this podcast, it will be the podcast that everyone just listened to before this with our panel with the TypeScript team. So Sarah, I actually do have a lot of your voice recorded. So yeah, I'm going to make you say a lot of fun stuff like accessibility doesn't really matter, Tori. I'm just going to have that loop going. Um, but it does matter. Um, it does. I like to tease, but it really does. And actually, that was your talk at TSConf, wasn't it? About accessibility and escape rooms and and fun stuff. Yeah, more or less manipulating people to make things accessible, even if they don't pay attention to it. Manipulating, helping, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Helping. Helping sounds better. I never manipulate anyone. <laughs> That's true. And I know this because I was never one to care about this topic. And then suddenly I started caring. And it was really the persuasiveness and not the bribes and manipulation. (laughs) So I think that was 
It's really good. I really appreciated that. So Nick, you were the man of the hour. You actually, so SitePen was the presenting sponsor for TSConf and you were the host of the event. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, about that, how that went? Oh man, it was, it went so well. I was so happy with the whole conference. I'm so happy that I didn't collapse on stage or, or have a panic attack or anything. That was great. And it was just so much fun, but I'm not the man of the hour. It was the the speakers, including Sarah, that really made the conference what it was. And also the TypeScript team, they were really fun. And as you'll see in the previous episode of this, uh, we actually did a live talk script as the closeout of the conference. So that was a lot of fun. Tori, you hosted that as well. And you stole the show, I think, in a lot of ways, because you were just hilarious. So, but judge for yourself, audience. Hey, audience, please let us know. I think I got heckled a little. It was fun, though. You know, good-natured heckling. And if you'd like to continue the heckling, that's iTory on Twitter. It is. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> okay, so getting into the accessibility side of things, Sarah, tell everyone about how you got into accessibility, about how you were a blind orphan that started using the internet on a on a flip phone and how that progressed now. Did I get the story right? So I interact with the internet in roughly the same way most other developers do, which is to say with my eyes and a mouse or a touchpad or a touchscreen and a lot of yelling. I mean, that's interacting with my code more. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I participated in this hackathon when I was living in Austin, Texas, um, run by Nobility. And the whole purpose of it was to make an accessible website. And I think I did this with some other designers from the team I worked on at the time. And I think we approached it a little incorrectly in that we made this wonderful, beautiful, fully featured site. And we really worked on content design and stuff like that. But it wasn't the most accessible thing. But we did learn a lot about techniques for accessibility and ways people access the web that I hadn't really thought about that much before. And I think accessibility is one of those things that's really easy to miss, but once you see it away. So after that, I just kind of continued and learned more. So, I mean, just how far can you go in making jokes about accessibility? So that's my big question of this whole topic, because I mean, there's just so many opportunities for it. And I feel like it's, it's just in poor taste, but I almost can't help myself. So I would say we'll cut it out in post-production, but I think everyone knows that that doesn't ever happen. So, you know, just maybe shoot me a message if I do. I'll really try, really try. I think it's an important topic. I mean, I think we're going to get into that in a second here. So you were just at a conference. You want to tell us about that conference? It's the CSUN Assistive Tech Conference in Southern California. And it's kind of the conference to go to for accessibility if you can just choose one. For one, you get to see a lot of really cute puppies and they're really well behaved, but you can't pet them, which is which is the hardest part of the conference. Puppies or dogs? Dogs. Right. <laughs> I it's call like, all dogs I puppies. Like, oh, I was like, what were their puppies doing there? They're say, all puppies like, at heart. <laughs> seeing seeing eye puppy sounds like yeah. it sounds like a recipe for disaster. A seeing eye puppy. Puppies so cute. Oh okay. They were already really cute. Were there any emotional support flamingos or anything? <laughs> no. Or I mean, I, well, <laughs> the thing with the fake emotional support animals, and there are a lot of real ones, but the thing with the overuse of that is I think at this conference, you'd find the most people annoyed by that in one space as anywhere else. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I would probably definitely 
annoy me that something as serious as being used by you know people with well not flamingos but uh what a peacock i think I mean, I saw. airlines yeah, are starting times. to crack down on that keep that there's actually internet. something i saw recently where um we are a peacock yeah I mean, come they're on. requiring uh, <laughs> one week ahead of time you have to like register your paperwork for your support animal and that means that somebody who needs one can't buy a plane ticket like the day before which is potentially illegal like potentially a violation of the ada hasn't been litigated yet because it's so recent but yeah i mean stuff like that has real consequences for people who need support animals like actually need support animals yeah because uh people apparently the airlines are not very friendly they're (laughs) not the friendly skies i don't know if anyone (laughs) do that but if you've ever flown you would know that flew down flew down to csun actually on spirit this this was my mistake (laughs) but yeah spirit is like the Greatest sponsor we've <laughs> ever had. Fly Spirit. You guys got to catch the spirit <laughs> at Spirit Airlines. It's like catching pneumonia, though. I don't recommend flying while you're doing it. So why don't you, I mean, maybe just give us an, an overview of what accessibility is. Because, I mean, I think a lot of people know that they should care, but maybe don't know to the extent it which it actually reaches. Like, you know, they think, and I am guilty of this as well, or have been in the past, thinking, well, I put some alt tags on my images that say the same thing that the image, so that's good. Like, I got it. Like, we're accessible now. But like, just what is it in general? What's the scope of the term accessibility? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to hear what talks were at the, the CSUN conference. And Well, then you should have flown spirit with your support animal and gone down there and seen. I just want to hear what like what celebrities were there and like what do they what do they talk about at an accessibility conference? Celebrity wise, Stevie Wonder showed up. He didn't give a talk, but talks. So one of the most popular talks and one of the really cool ones is the legal update from Lainey Feingold. Um, she does a lot of mediation. What do you call it? Uh, I'm just blanking. Um, uh, where you settle outside of court. Litigate. Um, uh, yeah, the thing, <laughs> the legal thing. I'm not a lawyer. Can you tell? But no, it was really cool. And there's a lot of interesting stuff that's happened in the last year. Like Winn-Dixie was the first case litigated under the ADA, Title III of the ADA. The first tech web case litigated under the ADA. And they won. The people suing Winn-Dixie won. So they were forced to make their website accessible. So yeah, she gave a much more in-depth overview. The full thing, slides and notes are online on her site that we can link to in the notes. Other talks. There's a trade show downstairs, like in most tech conferences, and there was some really interesting stuff there. Like there are these glasses that use a low-powered laser to project a perfectly sharp image directly on your retina. So it doesn't matter whether your eyes can focus or not. I tried those out. It was so cool. That sounds like a bad idea, shooting lasers into your eyeball. But it was so like you literally could see this perfectly sharp image overlaid on reality it was really cool it's a japanese company my parents used to not let me sit too close to the television so i don't think that i'm allowed to buy that still yes but i did get lasers shot into my eye which makes me kind of reverse superman i think i'm going with that another talk uh microsoft was there and they had a lot of stuff which kind of blows my mind given my opinion of microsoft like five years ago but they're making this eye tracking api that is open for anyone third-party apps and and non-Microsoft apps as well. And you can use this API to create that use eye tracking, their eye tracking software without making it yourself, which also really cool. They did a demo. Now uh, I know what eye tracking does for virtual reality and it helps with the field of view and, and focal and things like that. What does it do for accessibility? 
if you can't move your hands, for example, like you have ALS or something, you control a computer with your eyes. So you can type. Can I use that just like laying in bed? Yeah. So the camera that comes with computers really isn't quite good enough. It's better for gesture recognition and stuff like that, but not so good at, at the eye tracking. So you'd have to get your own hardware. But yeah, you could. Is laziness now a disability? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, so I think the thing about accessibility is when you make changes that are necessary for certain people, the effects trickle down for everybody. Like what's necessary for someone is good for everyone else. Like there's just this story about a zipper that I saw on chat today where somebody said their coworker had recently realized that their vest had like this one-handed zipper and they just realized it was a one-handed zipper and they'd been thinking it was just a much easier to use zipper this whole time. A one-handed zipper is something you can zip if you yeah, only have one hand. So it's a lot like getting food in the 1600s. It's like, you know, what was really good for someone trickled down and became good for everyone. What? <laughs> I got the metaphor now. I think I'm on it. I think I got this. That's a solid metaphor. All of us know about getting food in the 1600s. <laughs> like mass famines. Anyway, whatever. It's much more relatable than the zipper to our daily lives. Well, exactly. That's the, like, the zipper one was too abstract <laughs> for me. So I really had to, I was trying to pull in the rest of the audience, guys. Uh-huh. Or caption and audio transcripts if you're in a public place. And I do this all the time where I am too lazy to get out my headphones and I want to watch like a video on Twitter. Just look at the captions. But for people who are deaf, obviously, they actually need it. Or like another one, if you want to lay things out well for people who have certain cognitive disabilities, it's better to have large walls of text broken up, good like headings and lists, stuff like that. So you don't have just like a giant wall of text that can be necessary for somebody who has, say, autism, but it's just good for everyone else. So, yeah, eye tracking software, useful for lazy people, necessary for others. And you won't starve to death with it. I mean, you might. I don't think the eye tracking software actually prevents you from starving to death. Yeah, it's really cool. There's obviously a lot more than just, um, this wasn't just a conference on screen reading software. There's a lot more to accessibility, Yeah, uh, I think is a key takeaway here. Yeah, and even just like focusing only on screen readers can sometimes be bad for everything else because you can't assume that making a site accessible for screen readers makes it accessible for everybody. Although you right. should be making it accessible for screen readers. So it's not all the same. So back to my question was, what is accessibility if it's not just putting some <laughs> alt tags for a screen reader? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you were answering it and then you forgot what the question was while you were answering it. So to circle back to the question you were answering, what else is accessibility? Who needs accessibility? So yeah, so there's kind of, uh, often it's broken down into four big areas, vision, hearing, mobility, and cognitive differences or disabilities or whatever language. People differ on the language, so I try to say the right thing, but sometimes it's, it's, it's hard, to, hard to know. What's your Twitter handle? Just, just in case <laughs> someone wants to tell you. Coding uh, chaos. <laughs> you can come complain <laughs> to me on Twitter. Oh, God. <laughs> It's Nick Nisi at Nick Nisi. <laughs> yes, Weird, yes. but he idolizes him. So. Mm. <laughs> Definitely Nick Nisi and not Coding Chaos. Don't tweet that one. But yeah, <laughs> so vision, hearing, mobility, and cognitive disorders. So I think if you're like if you're in the design stage, it's good to be aware of all four. And obviously, within each of those four, 
not all of the affordances they require, like required are going to be the same, but it's good to at least maybe like have a persona that you think about or have a potential user that you're picturing at least one from each of the four when you're looking at your site. It's hard to reduce accessibility to just that. Although like the field of accessibility mostly focuses on ways that those disabilities restrict access, it can be something as broad as like, so I've spent a fair amount of time in India, in rural parts of India, and the internet there is quite bad. So there was this one time I was trying to message with somebody and the experience was just awful. They do the optimization thing where they don't immediately tell you that you're, when you write a message that they haven't sent it yet. They try to send it in the background. But that means that you don't realize that the other person hasn't received your message until like a minute later and you're trying to have this conversation and it's not working. And sometimes they sent the message twice without me even sending the message twice. And there are all these bugs that were there on the slow internet connection that they hadn't noticed because nobody there had tested with it. And it's like for me, I could remove myself from that situation and it's not a barrier. But for that disproportionately impacts not only people living in other countries and rural areas, but also people living in the U.S. in rural areas, which tends to be... People just trying to message their mom. Yeah. I mean, it's the yeah. same thing. Just like you message, it's like... Like even my dad, who's really good at, at tech, he lives in Western Massachusetts, and a lot of the people he communicates with are still on dial-up. <laughs> and that's decreasing more, but more people than you would expect use dial-up in this country still. And that's like correlated with age, with income level, stuff like that. So even that's part of access. I always joke about having a Kickstarter for something, but can we please get a Kickstarter for all the people who are on dial-up to get them moved over to something else? Because that is crazy. Well, it's not their fault. Sometimes it's just not available in backwood, like in, in small towns. Just shoot the internet with lasers <laughs> at their eyeballs. That is actually a valid thing that I've heard some developers do. They'll have like slow connection Thursdays or something where they switch in their Chrome dev tools over to 3G, like simulate 3G or, or slower even, and test that for a day. And it just keeps them honest about not adding too much to their website at any given point to to help cut down on that. Also, if you're in certain networks, you can simulate that by using Comcast. This podcast not sponsored by Comcast. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. If anybody out there listening has experience about dealing with slow networks and things like that, that would be really cool to hear. How does that affect users and and who has the patience nowadays to like wait for a website to load? Exactly. So, Sarah, so here's the big question. As a sighted white male who has generally good health, why do should I care? What's the reason that, you know, I think a lot of people maybe think in the back of their mind, they're like, you know, I don't care about people who are still using IE7, so why should I care about the small percentage of people who you know have a disability? Why should I bother to spend the time on that? Like I don't have the time as it is, so why should I bother? Yeah, uh, it's kind of a depressing question in one sense, but it's a good question. I see, so there's this push to measure how many people, to be able to measure with like Google Analytics, how many people access a specific page or site using assistive tech like screen readers. And there's a big divide over whether that information should be made known. Because right now you can't get that. You cannot see whether somebody is using a screen reader to access your site in the same way you can see browser data and stuff like that. And I think the the reason is people want to say, oh, look, like 10% of our users use some sort of vision assistive tech device like screen readers or zooming, uh, zoom text or something. And then you can give that to the higher ups and say, hey, this matters. 
But the reverse is that it really isn't like an older browser where you could say like 5% of people are still on IE10, therefore we need to support it or don't need to support it because it's fundamentally different than supporting old operating systems because you can change your browser. You can always download Chrome or Firefox if you need to, but you can't get ri- like you can't make yourself sighted if you're blind. If you have a disability, if you can't access a site the normal way because you have a disability, you can't change that. And it's reflected in our laws. We have the ADA, we have section 508 because it really is a civil right in the same way that ramps in buildings, like the ability to enter a building if you're in a wheelchair is a civil right. The ability to access a website if you're blind or, you know, deaf or whatever else is also a civil right in the same way that, like, in, in a fundamentally different way than being able to access the internet on IE8 is not a civil right. <laughs> so I don't think the number of people really matters in a fundamental sense. It's something that needs to be done just because everyone should have the same ability to access the same content online. But what if what if the content's like the Daily Stormer? Like maybe <laughs> it's okay that some con- like maybe we shouldn't. There are maybe there are developers that we should not give this information to. <laughs> Just saying. So I gave an accessibility talk, a different one than TSConf, and the first slide or the second slide was make cats and bad puns accessible to all. And I think I joked that you know we should have equal access spying for everyone everyone should be able to have Google know all their information. That's true. That's true. But yeah, I mean, there are parts of the web that suck for sure. And I hope that no one suspected to the Daily Stormer, but they should be able to. Well, wait, are all of the people who follow those sites already blind and have mental deficiencies in some way? This is the part that you added out. Yeah. Yeah, this is the part I'm going to edit out. I might have gone too far on that. I'm sorry to offend all of the listeners who might. I think the people who would take offense are the people who have cognitive disabilities or differences and are being compared to people who read Daily Stormer. That's not fair. No, that's a really good point. That is absolutely right. I meant intellectually blind and incapable, not like, okay. And snowflakes. I, I, yeah, see, this is what I said. How far do you go? That was, I meant it one way and I didn't mean it in a derogatory sense. And yet there I am. There we are. Here we are. My apologies. So so there's some legal cases that I think you mentioned. You mentioned the one about Winn-Dixie, which, by the way, was also my first job. And they don't treat people without accessibility issues but nicer. Um, they stuck me in a freezer once. I worked in the frozen food, and I don't know, someone locked me in there for a while. I was bad. That sounds terrifying. It was actually terrifying for legit. Like it didn't open from the inside properly. So it was cold. So, but hey, maybe I deserved it. Like honestly, at this point, you know, there's some other, I guess maybe you're not a lawyer, but maybe um, what kind of places are being like, I guess somebody going to come to my horrible blog and say, oh, like I'm suing you. Or is this more like government and business or something? Or kind of where is that? Like, where have you heard about these that have been coming up being challenged in court? So the one is notable in that it was challenged in court on the Title III of the ADA, not Section 508. So Section 508 explicitly deals with accessibility of IT stuff, like the web, but also computers, software, stuff like that. But it only applies to governments and organizations that receive government funding. So 
I worked on a project once that had Section 508 applied because it was a state museum, and so it was funded by the state legislature, and therefore Section 508 applied, but it doesn't apply to businesses, like private businesses, anything like that. But the ADA does. However, the ADA does not have language that deals with the internet. The phrase is places of public access, I believe. So that's in the past been interpreted to mean physical spaces, buildings, stuff like that. But Winn-Dixie isn't the first one to invoke the ADA. Other ones have like Target, but they've been settled out of court. And Winn-Dixie was tried in court in the state Supreme Court of Florida, if I remember right. And yeah, the judge upheld that Title III of the ADA applies to Winn-Dixie's website. That's kind of the legal state of things. There have been other... That's surprising that it happened in Florida. But if it happens in Florida, it can happen anywhere, right? That's where my job at Winn-Dixie was in Florida. And I'm surprised that anything good came out of that. No offense to everyone in Florida. Sorry. It's a great state. Man. I know. I'm just killing it. Our our retiree developers are not going to listen anymore. Oh. (laughs) My one experience with Florida was I flew through there and I had a connection through there and my plane got stopped on the runway because an alligator was crossing it. That makes sense. That makes sense. What kind of security doesn't catch an alligator going out on the runway? <laughs> They're crafty. They, have you ever seen them put on the hat and the trench coat? Like, it's pretty convincing. Okay, so you've convinced me not to be a horrible person and to actually care. I'm convinced. So now the next question is, so how do you actually do it? Because I don't know how to make things accessible. Like, I honestly have no idea what it even means to be accessible other than the most basic knowledge of like, I can put some alt tags and a screen reader can tell them what it says. Like what's the state of the world like now in accessibility? Well, alt tags are a good start. And I think if you really want to do like the very minimum just to get started, I think things like making sure you have a focus outline that's constantly visible, making sure that you have alternative text, whether it's for images or for any Visual-only medium and any interactive thing needs to have exposed text. So that could be like an icon button needs to have alternative text that describes it. And that'll get you decently far, but that's only the start. When you have alt text, should it be short if it's something that's the focus of your site or an article? Or should we consider writing like a paragraph or something to actually describe the image. I mean, that's where you have to use judgment. If you have an icon button, say, that has a magnifying glass on it, then it should be short. It should say, like, search. But if you have an image that has text in it, God forbid, then you have to write all the text in the alt text. If you have an image where what is in it is integral to understanding its purpose on the page, then you should make sure that the text sufficiently conveys that. Things like charts and graphs are kind of difficult. Either there needs to be an alternative presented or you need to spend a lot of time figuring out how to make that chart accessible or yeah, provide a text description of what it conveys in sufficient detail that someone who doesn't see it will understand this, the perhaps the same thing, but, but a, a comparable thing to somebody who can see it. Yeah, we were talking about SVGs earlier. Yeah. And some complexities with that. SVGs are a little hard. (laughs) You can focus on, wait, uh, I should double check that. You can focus on SVGs. You can certainly provide alternative text like labels on SVGs. You can use things like ARIA labeled by um, SVGs have text, like the text element thing and title tags. 
And those are screen reader accessible in that they'll read text within SVGs and titles within SVGs. There are some quirks, but generally, yeah. And if an SVG is purely presentational, like it, it's an icon SVG and it's pretty much used as an image, then you can slap role equals image on it and give it the equivalent of an alt, which could be a title tag and ARIA label by pointing to the title tag. Also a friendly reminder that when you post an image on Twitter, you can add alt text to that image as well. Yeah, there was a thread about that recently. I forget if you still have to go somewhere in your set turn on that thing. I'm not sure. Look it up, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> can I tell a uh, kind of embarrassing story related to something you were saying before? Please. <laughs> I One of my first pull requests to, I think it was Dojo X, was to remove the focus outline completely for Dojo X Mobile because... I was dumb and did not realize what I was potentially trying to do. I've done that before. So that's embarrassing. <laughs> well, it's just, it's so ugly that it's hard to get mad at you about it. Yeah. It's a really good point. It's so, so ugly. ugly. I don't know if I should say this. Maybe Tori can edit it out later, but. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to edit it. We, we had a... I literally don't plan on editing this at all. So, so. we're using this new software, so Tori doesn't edit it at all. Okay. Well, should I, should I say this? <laughs> yes. Okay. We had someone request, I added some focus styles to an app, and one of the QA feedback things was, please take them out. <laughs> it's definitely a common thing. That happens all the time, though. Everybody's right. The focus styles are super ugly. Yeah. I mean, the default ones, for sure. You can make them much prettier, but it's extra work. And then most people... Well, now you can, right? You always could. I mean, the focus... Mm. Like, the focus... Um, sort of, always? How long... How far back does your always go? As far as I remember. I mean, before... Like, I can look up can I use for the focus pseudo class, but I'm pretty sure it goes back past IE8. Are there media queries for screen reader support or something like that? No, you cannot. There is no way to tell if somebody's using to access your site on purpose. Like that is definitely a purposeful thing in that from the browser, you cannot access whether or not a screen reader is running. And there's a debate around whether you should be able to, but as it stands now, you cannot. Uh, you can. So something that some people have done is detect whether keys are being used to navigate and then apply focus outlines and not apply them for a mouse. And there's actually a proposal for focus visible is the current one, I, I think. It used to be focus ring. Now it's focus visible. It's in Chrome, but it doesn't have broad, broad support yet, but you could use a polyfill. And that will only show if someone is navigating by keyboard. And you can style it as you would focus. Nope. So there's options. Yes, there are definitely options. I kind of like just having focus outlines. I don't think it's a bad thing, even for mouse users. It's just like... Extra. If it's designed into it, yeah, focus outlines are great. So often, though, it's it's not a consideration in designs. Yeah, I think that's the, the problem. Sometimes like, you might have something, some element on the page that's trying to be look like a button, but not really. it's not really a button. So then you end up with this weird focus ring just around the text, but not around the actual like container that that text lives in. And so it... It looks weird, but like you said, Paul, you can just design around that. It's just being aware of that. Ooh, you hit on another thing that I <laughs> that I hate, which is <laughs> things that look like buttons that are not buttons. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. I, I totally meant to do that. I, I could totally rant about that, but I'll try not to. Don't do that. 
<laughs> so you're working on accessibility in Dojo 2. I assume then that it's really good. So do we not have things that look like buttons and aren't buttons then? I hope not. Just a, just kind of a... <laughs> I was just thinking about that. <laughs> there are exceptions to pretty much every rule, but the problem is that people jump straight for the exception rather than understanding the rule. So we do have things that are actually radios on our calendar that are styled in our theme to look like buttons, and that is on purpose. <laughs> That's one of the exceptions where it's, it is an interactive element. So it's not like styling a piece of text to look like a button. It is a thing that you press or click or navigate to with a keyboard and activate. But we use radio buttons because there's only one active at a time. Like you can only select one month at a time. So in function, it is a radio or a select type thing. So the radios make sense functionally, but visually buttons also work because it's a, a thing you it's a, a thing you press that does a thing which is kind of a broad definition stop getting all technical <laughs> with us over here it's it's the literal definition of button i'm but a layman oh so buttons versus links that's another good one because people style links to look like buttons and so they lose and because they're both interactive people lose sight of the difference but a button is a thing that does a thing on the page it performs action whereas a link is a thing that takes you somewhere it changes the path somehow and those are different. So now. <laughs> what about if you don't know where it's going to go? Yeah. Or if it does both? Is it just like use your best judgment? Like a Schrodinger's <laughs> button? Like you don't know what will happen until you activate it. <laughs> both submitted and not submitted. Oh, God. It's probabilistic action. <laughs> half the time it takes you to a new page and half the time it, it toggles the contrast on your existing page. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Sometimes you get a funny animation. Other times you get sent to the Daily Stormer. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that's a new feature. In uh, then in WCAG, there is a success criteria where if your button half the time takes you somewhere else, what you're supposed to do is go hide under the bed until it stops. <laughs> gotcha. What if you're already under there drinking whiskey and then you got sobbing? It. I mean, I don't do that. I'm just wondering yeah. if that's okay. I'm already I'm ahead of the game here. Yeah, you know what else isn't the same? A checkbox and a toggle button. And it drives me insane that they're used, like people will use them for the same thing. And I'm like, please stop doing that. You're making me angry because a checkbox is a selection and like a toggle does something immediately like turning on your lights. It's not, I would like my lights turned on sometime in the future. It's I want them on now. So don't use a toggle for a checkbox, okay? Unless it's going to do yeah. something right then. Another good point. And rant. <laughs> yeah, so we're running up on 45 minutes here, which actually we just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. So wrapping it up, we're trying to keep this under an hour, when it's 45 minutes, but we can, we can kind of finish up here with some last questions. Rapid fire, anything, go. I have a, a quick question for you, Sarah. The Chrome DevTools have an audits tab, and in there it has an accessibility audit that you can run. I assume that getting a really good score on that won't doesn't mean that I'm doing fine. Is there more that I can do beyond that? Yes, that's kind of similar to the difference between automated testing and human testing. It's not strictly testing, but it's kind of like DevTools testing, and that catches roughly the mm -hmm. same things that you would with like running tests in AxCore. And Axe also has a DevTools extension. Intern supports uh, heard... Axe and Tenon as well, just to throw that in there. Yeah, it's, it's a good tool to use. So I've heard people throw out different numbers, like 
automated testing catches like 40% or 50% or 60% or 20% of issues. And it really depends on the website or web app and the testing tool used. But you will catch some number of errors, but a number of them just you can't do with automated testing or with an accessibility audit in dev tools. And so what you do from there is you actually get people who are screen reader users or you get people who are not like who are autistic or you get people who have ADD or anxiety or something and you have them look at your site, try to use it and you perform usability tests, except you expand the participants in your usability tests to those who are not simply accessing your product through with their eyes and through a screen and with the the normal keyboard, mouse, touchscreen, whatever it is. Nice. Thank you. So it's a good due diligence step, but really more needs to be done. Yeah, it's definitely like, like if you're doing agile environment stuff, then it's good to have accessibility tests integrated like with your pull requests with Travis or whatever CI tool you use just because you can't conduct usability tests for every minor version. But they're good to, to have kind of more infrequently, but there. Wait, so you're telling me that not only do I have to design for accessibility in mind, I also have to test <laughs> things now? Yep. I'm not going to do that. No. It's, all really, it's a really a very big topic, and I really encourage people to learn more about accessibility, and I want to do better at it because it's been always one of those things that I've known exists, but it's never because it doesn't affect me directly. And I, I just go, well, you know, like, okay, like, well, I just add some alt tags or something. But there's, there is so much more to it. And, you know, I definitely agree that it's a right. If you want people coming to your site, like, provide the access to everybody. Like, don't just, you know, you wouldn't portion it off to, you know, like the Daily Stormer would to, you know, only one group of people. So, you know, I think that it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And, you know, if we just build this in, like really the argument can't be, well, it's too difficult. I don't have the time because like, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but web development, even simple stuff has gotten much more difficult over the last few years with all of the tools that we have. Like we just keep building bigger and bigger tool chains and you keep having to learn more and more new things as the languages evolve and the browsers evolve and the devices evolve. So we can't let that be our thing. Oh, I just don't have the time for that. Or, you know, it's really, it's not an excuse anymore. You know, like we really need to do better at that. We're redoing the site pen site very soon and Dojo 2's new site, which is going to be up soon. And those are big focuses where I want to do thorough accessibility and not just kind of go, well, I guess it works for enough and pushing it up. That I think I encourage everyone to learn more about this. Any final thoughts, everyone? Actually, I gave everyone else already a chance of final thoughts. Maybe just Sarah, any final words here? Sure, kind of along the lines of everyone should at least like dip a toe in the accessibility waters. Some good places to start is Rob Dodson on the Google Chrome team has a set of videos called Alley Casts, A11Y Casts on YouTube. A11Y is the common abbreviation for accessibility because there are 11 letters between A and Y. So if you search things with A11Y, you'll get it. Also, Hayden Pickering has a website called Inclusive Components, where he discusses different patterns for things like data tables or select dropdowns or menus in depth. And he really gives a good overview of everything you need to think about for different patterns, and he updates them constantly. So it's a good resource. And there's a ton of articles, and I think we'll link to some below. But 
those are a couple of good places to start reading and listening and watching with captions. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. And you're welcome back anytime. All you have to do is ask or just show up to the link that we put into the <laughs> podcast room. And then we won't really tell you you can't be there. So, you know, just, just lurk. You know, absolutely. Well, I mean, just the fact that you even you even wrote some show notes in, you know, and I didn't have to remind you, I think that just gets you automatically in. So, I mean, it's a really low bar here. Yes. I mean, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I try my best to ruin it every episode. So, uh, you know, still going strong on that streak, guys. Oh, I had a pun too. You asked for puns at the beginning and I didn't actually say it. I was going to say that uh, joking on podcasts isn't my aria of expertise. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe that should be blocked on the internet though <laughs> think about that now that i hear it i'm like uh, i don't know that was pretty good though all right so uh thanks everyone for listening thank you goes out again to SitePen for putting on this podcast and giving us the time to do it and you can check us out at sitepen.com and at sitepen on twitter and yeah we look forward to doing more accessible stuff i don't know where i was going to go with that accessibility thing. I had a pun and I lost it. Whatever. Puns are bad. <laughs> Just kidding. They're the greatest. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Bye, everyone. <laughs>